Welcome to the extended cut. Uh, got a special time today with, uh, there's four of us in the room. We got Brian Kirkland, one of our elders. Hey, everybody. We got John Reeves, lead pastor, of course. Hey, hey. And uh, Derek Liferidge, who is our uh, teaching pastor out of White Knoll. Hello. So we're excited today uh, just to be together, and um, it's a little bit of a somber mood because the, the issue we're going to talk about is not Philippians 2. We normally utilize this Extended Cut podcast to talk about um, things that we may have missed or didn't get a chance to touch on from our Sunday sermon. But today, there's been something that's been in the, the news for the last um, couple of weeks, and for many of us, we're just finding out about it, but this is actually something that took place way back in February, and uh, what that was is um, the killing of Ahmad Arbery uh, in February, and mm-hmm. and so a video has been released. It's made its way across social media and all news outlets. It's being picked up, uh, obviously, across all mainstream media, and and the reason why this is an important discussion for us is because the young man was black and the two men that shot him were white. And when the video was released, this, this, this has all of the, um, I mean, just looks obviously like a hate crime, which is, I think, what the Department of Justice is, is going after right now as far as charges are concerned. And then, um, you know, just another one of these incidents. And when I say another one, there have been plenty of them mm-hmm. where it's involved um, uh, a white and uh, a black man or woman, and it just really highlights the racial tensions that we feel here in this country. So obviously, uh, Derek, uh, being a black man here in South Carolina, man, we, we, I mean, it would be silly for us to have this podcast discussion without you because you feel this in more ways than we're ever going to feel it. And so I just thought it might be good for us just to go around the table and um, to talk through what are our initial reactions when we saw the video, when we heard the story, um, how do we respond? Derek, we'll start with you. Uh, my initial reaction was just uh, anger more than anything. Uh, honestly, I some of the other stories that have come out and some of the other incidents that have happened, um, in regards to people being murdered or their lives being taken. Uh, n- no one deserves that, uh, first off. Uh, but looking at it, uh, some of the other stories, it seemed as if the person uh, was in the act of committing a crime in some instance, in a lot of instances, and that they did something to just put themselves in a bad position. Uh, and again, no one deserves for their lives to be taken, but... Mm. Uh, to see that they did something uh, to put themselves in a bad position. Um, made it easier to, uh, to, to understand what, what, what took place, but this uh, would, just didn't make sense at all. Uh, just to know that a young man was just running down the road uh, doing something I try to do a couple times a week and, and that his life was taken just senselessly. Um, he wasn't involved in a drug deal. Uh, he wasn't in the wrong, well, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he didn't know that. And, uh, this was, it was senseless and definitely made me upset. Brian, I know, um, I believe it was last Thursday. We prayed mm-hmm. as a staff and, yep. um, and as we did, this was heavy on your heart as you had just watched the video that had been released so yeah. talk about it that's right yeah and I, I generally 
whenever there's videos like this, I tend to resist clicking on it and watching it, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a brawl or some sort of video that's going to have some sort of violent graphic content because, again, I just don't want to get sucked into... Uh, I, don't, I think sometimes these videos can take you to, 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 to really bad spots mm-hmm. and can be dangerous to click on a lot. But I really, uh, after reading the article content... I felt like, and I actually prayed a little bit about it and, and really felt like the Lord wanted me to watch the video, mm. which again, so typically I wouldn't click on the video content, but I watched it. And and I was I was deeply troubled for a, a couple of reasons. One, uh, obviously everything Derek described uh, that I can't relate to as a, as a white guy, but uh, uh, loving people of color, knowing that uh, this is a young man who was made in the image of God, uh, who was senselessly... Uh, killed that that broke my heart, and then I start reflecting on Cain and Abel and thinking about it, it took one generation for murder to mm-hmm. to enter mm-hmm. uh, the world, and so just thinking about what a broken world we live in, and then thinking about okay, so what's my responsibility whenever we pray the Lord's prayer and it says Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so what does that look like for me on earth as it is in heaven? And then you know my mind, you know, I, of course I think about the murder, uh, then I start thinking about. Look, if this if this video hadn't have come out, then these these two guys would they they, they wouldn't have been arrested. So the so you start thinking about the justice and and the and the, the seeming lack thereof. And I'm I am all for due process. So I do want these fellows to to, to have due process. Um, but just what it appears to be, and recognizing that uh, it just seems like they were just gonna get away with it. And it was going to be a justifiable homicide. And the only reason people are talking about it is because this video went public. And so that breaks my heart. And I start thinking about, okay, so what's, what's our Christian response in terms of social justice, in terms of, of, uh, of, of laws uh, and the enforcement of these laws? And then you start thinking about what are these laws in the first place in terms of vagrancy and citizens arrest and stand your ground and mm. what's a hate crime and what's not. And, uh, and again, I, I think there's some, some Christian thoughtfulness that that, that 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 needs to happen. That needs to take place. So, again, my, my heart aches for my uh, my brothers and sisters of color who have to coach their kids differently than I have to coach my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, uh, I think about young men that uh, that they, they 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 can't they can't wear a hoodie or they can't put the hood up or they can't go out for a jog. And I don't have to have those kinds of coaching conversations with my son mm-hmm. about what he can and what he can't do. But that—that's a really—that's a very real thing that has to happen now, and that troubles me deeply. John, what about you? Yes, yeah, so I'm the old guy in this room. Uh, so at 52, and this has been uh, so so just racism, this this systemic problem in our country has been mm-hmm. something I've cared about since I was a kid, and I've watched guys my age that that are um, some guys that are my friends that are my age, that are black, and, and one of the words that they keep putting on, I felt it this time, which I have no excuse for it, but they're just tired. Mm-hmm. So like where Derek is angry, which is a proper response. Uh, one of my friends, uh, I, I watched what he wrote, and he just, I, I got to explain this to my son again. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a, so it's, it's one of those, so this is a horrendous event, but it's the cumulative. Get the cumulative that is is uh, man. I, I think anger, being tired, all those make sense. Like like, how do I make sense of this again? Mm. Even for our 
men and women listening to the podcast that are white. How do how do I explain to this to my white son again that mm-hmm. this is what our people have done for generations? Um, but but if you're a black man, you have to explain it to your son, and it's just got it's, it's so much more loaded. It's it's mm-hmm. a conversation I wish was over. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's not going to be over, and so we as leaders. And followers of Jesus, we have to. We have to. We have to lead the church through it. Mm-hmm. We can't. We can't run away from it. We have to lead through it. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen again mm-hmm. and again, and uh, that's that's what makes you tired. So, Brian and John, you both mentioned the way we talk about it with our with our family and Derek, before we got on, you were talking about how your dad had to coach you up. And why why don't you talk about that? Some of the things you were saying or things that I, my, me and my dad never talked about. So I think it might be good for folks to hear that from you. Well, it's, I think it's important for anybody to know that Uh, any black family, you're raising a child and you're going to, say something, you're going to do something to coach your sons and your daughter, uh, daughters in some way. Um, I've, in my experiences, I've, I've found the, that teaching to either go right or go left, uh, to either be taught to be angry, uh, which in most cases, uh, most people I've known have been taught to be angry, uh, been taught not to trust. Um, I call that being taught to think like Malcolm, uh, Malcolm X, that is. And then on the other side, uh, this would be the rarity, being taught to think like Martin, uh, being taught that in spite of the hatred that uh, that you're going to experience, um, being slighted, the things that you're going to experience at some point in your life, uh, to not be angry but to still love people, um, to still give every single person that you meet uh, a chance. And so... I was fortunate to have a father who taught me to think like Martin Luther King, and um, he definitely taught my, me and my siblings to to treat everyone with love regardless. Um, uh, we were taught to... Uh, my dad wouldn't let us... Uh, he wouldn't let me uh, get any of the stylish haircuts. Uh, I couldn't get my hair braided. I couldn't uh, get a... A box like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, I had to have a low military style haircut. I had to walk, dress, and uh, articulate a certain way because he didn't want me or my siblings to uh, carry ourselves in a way that invited attention, um, on unwanted attention. And so, uh, and that's kind of what makes this situation so uh, upsetting. Uh, is that the young man seemed to not do anything to invite that attention. Um, he, seemed to, he seemed to check all the boxes and do everything right, and, and still this happened. And so, But yes, the, the teaching is something that definitely goes on in, in, in every household. John, as you think about teaching this to your sons, your daughter, what does that conversation look like? Yeah, so uh, you you have to address the hate, and then you got to address what who we are, 
Mm. So as followers of Jesus, and then as a family, and so there's a culture to be set by every father taking in this podcast or or mom um, of how we're going to approach it. Which so so for me that has always meant uh, lead by example. That means that there's all kinds of people of color in my home, mm. and so that takes a whole lot. I mean. That, that's transformational. Mm-hmm. When there's people of color in your home on a regular basis and your kids, then uh, when, when they're making friends, then it just, it, it not, not a non-issue because this thing continues to fester. So sin continues to produce it, but it becomes much less of an issue just because they, they, they don't have all these walls up that uh, maybe other kids do. So now, now when something like this happens, particularly now my kids are older, so... We talked through it uh, just the other night, but when they were young, it's just hard. It's hard to, because uh, for a child, this is you know it's kind of rated R. Hmm. This is this is the rated R movie. You don't let them watch, and so to be able to walk them through it, and I think for our for our black families, they've got to they've got to tell young kids rated R movies all the time, hmm. and, and the white families, then we can we can kind of make it PG thirteen. Um, and I, I think you know looking back on it, that probably some mistake in letting them only see PG on some of these. They probably needed to see that it was R, mm. and I needed to let them know the how bad this is from, uh, like, just this one instant is, is a simple example. The sad part is there's hundreds of those in my lifetime with my kids that I've had to address. So uh, knowing where that line is as a parent is a little complicated, but we probably erred toward keeping it too simple and probably – it would be good for our, for particularly for the white families to go ahead and open up how ugly this is to to our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, again, still kids. You gotta you gotta think think about their minds and how they're developing. But it's a tough conversation. And then and then you know my go to is let's pray. Mm-hmm. So uh, so then let's let's deal with it in conversation. But then let's move to to uh, uh, to our to the God who uh, who was who was there. He was there on that street. He didn't miss it. Mm. He hasn't missed any of this, and he'll hold all accountable. Mm. So, mm. Uh, so praying is 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 the closer. Yeah, Brian, as you mentioned earlier, just talking about the difference in the way you'll coach and mm-hmm. raise up your couple of kiddos. How, do, how does yeah. all this strike you? Yeah, for me, I've actually been thinking. Maybe it's because it's also Mother's Day. Is thinking about my mom and. Uh, she told me a story um, to take you way back whenever I was in elementary school. My best friend was Dana. So Dana was African-American. He is African-American. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a lawyer in Chicago now. And uh, uh, but uh, so, so Dana and I were, were best buddies. His mama was my kindergarten teacher. And uh, he invited me over for his birthday party. And um, uh, as, as part of that, so, so I get the invitation and... And, uh, and, and, and so my mom, you know, she takes me to the birthday party and I was the only white kid there. And my mom, later on, I remember I was probably in my twenties and she talked me through kind of the process that she went through in actually dropping me off and how, uh, for her, uh, it, 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 it just, it just took her back a little bit. And again, uh, but, but she knew it was the right thing to do was to drop me off at that birthday party. And, uh, and, and she, she loved Dana. She loved Dana's mama, uh, Ethel, and and, and so uh, it was a good, good family. Uh, she knew it was the right thing to do, but there was still this angst inside of her of 
you know, can I drop my white son off at this place where he's the only white kid? And, uh, and, and is he going to be okay? Uh, and, and she knew that I would be, uh, but uh, she still had to fight through that. But she did. And to her credit, she fought through that. And so I think about um, just like really simple things. I like what John said, you know, taking it back to, okay, who, who do you have over to your house? Um, the, do you have people of color at your sitting at your dinner table, or uh, what kind of conversations are you having? And uh, and and so I think that's a really simple, practical, everyday step that um, that anybody, any one of us, can do if you're out there listening. Is to to have somebody that looks different than you into your home and go to somebody else's home that looks different than you. I think that's a that's a real simple first step. That's really practical. My mom led the way on that by dropping me off at that birthday party where I was the only white kid. And, and in doing so, what she was doing is she was taking a step towards breaking generational cycles of racism that had been going on in my family. Mm-hmm. So she gets a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Happy Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. Thinking about, um, you know, obviously we as a church need to to speak to this. Um, I know several leaders have across the country, you know, John, as you, you think about, I mean, I think anybody who attends radius or, you know, as a partner here would know that this is, this is part of your heart that mm-hmm. we want to be a church that's diverse. We, we don't want to be a church of, um, you know, just looking all the same and not, not reaching out to, to everybody to represent the community. If you were to, if you were to, challenge us as a church what does that look like what what are the words that come to mind that to speak to this but also to speak to um, how we're going to lead in that how radius is going to lead in that yeah so i'm probably a little discouraged on that at this point uh i really uh i really want the variety of cultures that show up at Radius to feel like they can be themselves. Hmm. And that's just not true yet. So that's discouraging. Doesn't mean that we're going to quit trying, but uh, I think I think for our body to hear that and try to understand that, uh, I mean, as you hear Derek's unpack how his dad taught him, that, that a lot of our folks, particularly African-American folks, but this, this could be anybody of color, uh, have been taught not to be themselves in, in a situation where, especially in a church like ours, it's predominantly white. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hate that. Like I, I, like, I, I like for people to feel like the freedom to be. I mean, we, we all die to ourselves at one level or another when we're in community, but I would love for our... Uh, I would love for our culture to continue, the radius culture, continue to uh, be open to folks of different cultures being able to express themselves how, how they do. So, so one of the things I think we're particularly good at at radius is I think we're really diverse in the sense of uh, income. We have folks on all on all sides of that. We, we have the wealthy and we have the folks that are poor, and, and, and we really do well with that. And there's some freedom in there for those different socioeconomic groups to be themselves. And I, so I'm, I'm proud of that, and I think we've, we're diverse there. I, w- I would hold us up as an example of diversity there. Uh, I, I, just, I still think from a racial diversity standpoint, we, we have some hills to climb that are, um, are hard for all of us, and, and our, our particular community doesn't 
black or white community doesn't argue for it. It argues the opposite, that we ought to uh, not be together. Um, and so, yeah, so I encourage our folks. I mean, at, at the, what's awkward is you can overdo this as the white guy in our body, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it, it is healthy to be, uh, I mean, be aggressive to to make make a friend that's not, that doesn't look like you, just like Brian did. And, and at church, that's certainly appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you uh, you don't have to have all your words just right. You just, you just need to know how to love. And uh, that's all I got. Derek, as you think through, you know, you you serve here at Radius, predominantly white, and you think through, hey, how, how, what can we? What are some lessons that we can learn? What What are some ways that we can we can uh, just to some uh, to piggyback on what John said? What, what are some things that you would you would challenge us with, um, either mindset or action or both? What are some things that that you would challenge us with? I would say uh, to just be in relationship with with people who don't look like you. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard John say it first about having someone at your table who doesn't look like you. When's the last time you had someone at your your dinner table that didn't look like you? Um, John, you might not even remember this. Uh, We didn't know each other too long at that point, but uh, almost 20 years ago, I was about 24, 25 years old, and you had me over at your house, um, which was, it was, was madness at the time. <laughs> but, uh, but even sitting there with your entire family um, and seeing JT and Malachi and all those, and, and Chunk and all those guys, and, and just uh, that they were exposed to that, uh, having a young black man in their house. Um, it just it it changes your attitude when we most people I know most people I know um, in this area are not in active friendship with someone of another race. Um, most people I know I, I would put in that category, and don't remember the last time they've had someone at their table that didn't look like them, <laughs> and so just to do that. Um, because when you, when you don't do that, when you aren't in relationship with someone who doesn't look like you, then it's easier, whether you're black or or whether you're white, it's easier to objectify the other person. Um, it's easier to see them as a monster. It's easier to hate them. It's easier to, um feel some kind of way about them that you shouldn't feel when you don't know anybody who's who's changed your mind or has shown you that it can be different. And so the being in relationship with uh, different kinds of people is really helpful um, for, for anyone to do. And that would, that would be a, a big first step. Scripture talks a lot about the vulnerable. You think about um, maybe the quartet of the vulnerable. You got the the poor, the the orphan, the widow. Um, it, you know, you you go to to thinking through, man. How much how much 
more do we need to maybe embrace this idea of the vulnerable being people of color who, um, you know, because of our history here in this country, because of what you said earlier, just the sy- systemic nature of it, right? Whether we whether we want to embrace it or not, you know, there's always going to be those who say, ah, well, he, you know, he shouldn't have been doing this or he shouldn't have been doing that or whatever. We can dismiss it because we don't really want to call ourselves racist or have hate in our hearts. But um, is it okay, Brian, to think through vulnerability like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, if you... When, when, when you read the Bible, whether you're reading the, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, or uh, some people call it the, the law, if you read the prophets, if you read the writings, that's what the, the Old Testament is. It's the law, the prophets, the writings. Uh, each one of those sections reminds you, do not forget the voiceless. Do not forget the poor. Do not forget the vulnerable. Um, uh, uh, you read your New Testament, and you read... Certainly, you read the, the four Gospels and you read the, the letters that, that Paul wrote and others wrote. Um, again, all throughout Scripture, over and over, it's, it's don't neglect the vulnerable. And so, uh, so we absolutely have a—there's a, a Christian duty, there's a Christian responsibility, uh, both on a, a macro level, whenever we think about you know, some of these issues of systemic injustice and these laws and where they came from and what's going on. And then from a micro level and just a real personal level of, of who, um, you know, who, who do you have at your house on a regular basis mm-hmm. and what kind of conversations are you having? So for sure. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the right thing to do. Be, uh, uh, Cause again, scripture just doesn't let you off the hook on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, couldn't be more proud to, to be a part of a church that, um, striving for diversity, uh, having grown up in a church with, uh, you know, First Baptist Missouri City outside of Houston that there were a lot of people that, that didn't look like me and, and even had the freedom to worship what you were talking about earlier, John. Um, as a kid, I didn't even, I don't even guess I knew the novelty of what I was sitting in, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting looking back as I hear you describe some of that. I'm, I think, man, that that was pretty cool, I guess, and uh, mm-hmm. and unique, uh, especially even thinking about you know the early '90s of how unique that probably would have been at a First wow. Baptist as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I'm proud to be a part of a church that that wants to do that and is striving to to um, speak into these issues, to address these issues, and then not only that, but and really to. As, as we've said, be, be really pragmatic here and have some relationship, build relationships with our neighbors where we live, work, and play, whether they look like us or not, and um, and make that investment. So um, closing thoughts, we'll go around the table. Um, John? Oh, man. Kind of emotional over here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's probably my closing thought. It's, 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 it, it's something that to eventually pull on on some chords in our heart and uh yeah so we want to be we want to be a church that responds because we love people mm-hmm. so that doesn't always mean you know like you, you guys know me I'm zero political so mm-hmm. I got no desire to go make some kind of political statement on this perhaps I'm, I'm sure that's appropriate for some but it does make me want to do more than uh post something on the internet like I want to do something with my feet and and, and my hands and mm. have people around and uh, 
and and love continue to do what we we've been doing for years but it's discouraging that there's not as much headway made as you would hope in a lifetime yeah brian what about you final thoughts oh um you know for for me as i've been kind of working through this uh, scripture there's a passage in scripture i don't know the address i apologize it says godly grief leads to repentance and so for me, the, the, the question that I'm asking myself is, okay, uh, where, where have I been silent, where I needed to open my mouth, uh, where have I been complicit? And, and, and so uh, uh, and there's a big difference between godly grief and white guilt. White guilt, I, uh, I think, is, can, can be really unhelpful, and it just makes you, you feel better, but you haven't done any real work. Uh, so... So when, when I say this, uh, again, uh, I'm not talking about white guilt. I really want to work through, okay, what is, uh, where do I need to grieve? Where do I need to mourn? Where do I need to repent? Mm-hmm. And, and kind of start there. So, um, so I've, I've, I've got a buddy um, that I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with weekly, and he's African-American, and he's helping me work through some of this, and we're working through mm-hmm. church history. Uh, we're working through the history of the United States a little bit, and we're just having conversations. And that's been really good for me. To, to help me sort through what, where, where do I need to, where do I really need to grieve? Uh, where do I need to repent? And, and, and to do so honestly and not just because uh, I feel guilty about something. That's good. 2 Corinthians 7.10, I looked it up for you. Thank you. Yeah, for those of you who want to read that. Derek, we'll give last words to you. I would just say that this is, uh, it's easy to look at, you know, these things that are happening on the news and in Georgia and, and to think that this is something that is somewhere else, uh, that this is a problem that is over there, uh, I'll say, uh, but it's a problem that's right here. It's a problem that is in our community. Um, even coming to, to church here and uh, to work, and, you know, I pass by uh, the the courthouse building, and, you know, there was a, Somebody had taken a Confederate flag and just kind of placed it in the ground and, and on the way here, I looked at that and was kind of discouraged by that. But um, this is a problem that is very relevant to to Lexington, to, you know, the, the Columbia area. Um, Stall statistic that hate crimes in South Carolina are up 70% uh, since 2013. Uh, this is very relevant to all of our lives. And um, as the church, we have to be the example um, to the world of what love looks like, um, of what being in harmony with each each other looks like, with uh, loving each other looks like. And so in the midst of all this, um, as angry as this has made me um, and upset and sad all at the same time it's it's really a, a an amazing opportunity for the church to shine like never before uh, the church the the world doesn't know how to do this and this is this is some kind of opportunity for the church to to really show off the love of Christ and and uh show the world how to do it it's good fellas i uh think uh probably be smart to Borrow from John's playbook here. That we've talked about it, but it'd be a good time to pray about it. So, uh, John, would you uh, would you lead us in that and wrap us up? Yep. 
Father, we, we uh, know you sent your son here because you loved us and uh, he suffered much. And we, we are all thankful to uh, be made uh, to be made right by his sacrifice on the cross. So we celebrate that together. Uh, we confess, Lord, the, uh, the sin that is um, often overcome us as mankind to be proud of, of these broken bodies of ours. And uh, I don't know how we got there, Lord, but even to be proud of the color of our skin in such a way as to, uh, to think ourselves better than somebody else with a different shade or pigment of skin. Even coming out of my mouth, it sounds absurd, Lord, and incredibly uh, <laughs> just arrogant. So uh, we're thankful for your son, for his sacrifice to, to cover these horrendous sins that uh, grip us all, really. One way or another, Lord, we continually find a way to make much of ourselves and, and little of your sacrifice. So we're, we're sorry, Lord. And even as we recenter ourselves today, as we talk on this subject that is, is painful, um, we uh, recognize that we have no business in your presence outside the Son of Jesus, outside your Son, Jesus, Lord. And so thank you for him. Lord, I want to pray uh, specifically for uh, inside a radius, Lord. I've always wanted us to be more diverse, and every time one of these national stories kind of hits, makes me want it more. And uh, so I pray for that, Lord. I pray for freedom for our folks and our body that are uh, that are not white, that they they feel free in our in our place, that it wouldn't be awkward, that uh, they'd feel loved. They'd feel like people are as willing to come to their house as invite them to their own house, Lord, that there'd be a freedom across these lines that could only be produced by you, Lord, because we, again, somehow this sin that uh, is deep in us uh, just doesn't want to let go. So pray, Holy Spirit, you'd work on us and uh, make us a true, diverse community of believers and teach us to... uh, love each other, but also die to some of our own preferences at times to to enjoy each other's cultures as well. Uh, uh, glad to be able to pray, Lord. Uh, so many men and women have fought for this in our country, for there to be unity among races, and uh, have here we are, we're still talking about it. So glad to talk to you, Lord, and we're looking forward to a day, as you say in Revelation 7, where we're going to stand before you, Jesus, and we're going to worship as many nations, and we are going to be absolutely unified and uh, not focused on ourselves, but focused on you. And We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) 